Good morning. good morning. So good to see you this morning. My name is Dylan, and there's my wife over here in the front, Robin, and I get the privilege of preaching the last message in our 10-week series, Rethinking Sexuality. We have gone on an amazing journey of God speaking into this area of sexuality in our lives. For five weeks, we turned our perspective upward as we understood that how we view God directly impacts how we view our sexuality. While keeping this upward perspective, we learned that God has beautifully created our sexuality to be a display of the gospel. But we also learned that there is an enemy who is out there to destroy our sexuality. And this results in things that we see today that we have journeyed on the last nine weeks And he uses this destroying of our sexuality to shame us away from God. But just before our heads were downcast for too long, we spoke about the Redeemer, Jesus, of our sexuality. We then turned our perspective inward as we understood not just the physical, but also the spiritual implications of a broken or a healed sexuality, leading us into seeing the power and the freedom of our true selves. Noel preached a wonderful sermon on how we live in the freedom of authentic and whole lives in Jesus, not keeping things behind a private curtain. Well, Sajith and I, in the last two weeks, get to turn our perspective outward as we see what is our role in broken sexuality in the world. Saj preached a beautiful sermon last week on the practical tools we can personally carry as we reach those in their broken sexuality in our world. And so you're probably thinking, why are we still preaching on this? We did the, we did the upward thing. We did the inward thing. Saj preached the outward message. Why are we doing this again? You might be thinking, do we really have to? Yes, <laughs> we do. And I'm going to press us One last time, as I call us to more. Currently, the age of a boy being exposed to pornography is between 13 and 14 years old. If we can please get that slide up. With some of them being exposed as early as 10 years old. For those who don't wait until marriage, the average age one loses their virginity is 16 for men and 17 for women. There's a growing trend where parents refrain from identifying their baby by their biological facts and allow the child to make the decision of whatever gender they want to be when they want to make that decision. And this results in something we see today called gender dysphoria. And amidst today's 20s and 30s, it's unpopular to not live together before marriage for a whole bunch of reasons. We can save money, we can have sex, and if we're living together, what's the point of even getting married? And lastly, up to 40% of marriages that end in divorce are due to infidelity or affairs. Off the back of the last nine weeks, we have discovered both personally and corporately God's ultimate design and purpose for our sexuality. It's so normal to look at all of that and feel so overwhelmed that that task is just too big for us to do something about it. It's normal for to look at that and think, what would we even need to do to make a dent in the areas of broken sexuality? 
It's understandable to even sit here thinking, well, I'm just going to count myself a lucky fish for catching the series at the right time. It's an overwhelming task. And we won't know what to do with every situation. And we will make some mistakes along the way. But the only way that we can bring God's truth and love to the issues of broken sexuality that we see in our world is through the local church. We absolutely need the local body of Christ. As we fight to reclaim the territory that the enemy has stolen in our sexuality, we need the local church to cohesively come together. The task is too big and the lives of the people are far too precious for us to do it alone as lone rangers. Each and every one of us sitting here, the local church, is needed for this task. But why do we need the local church? Aren't missionaries the key? Can't we just support those with GoFundMe accounts so they can do the uncomfortable work of discipling others through the messy sexual brokenness that we see in the world? Can't we just leave it up to them to have the uncomfortable conversations as they lead others towards wholeness and healing in God? No. Even Julie Slattery, the person who wrote the book Rethinking Sexuality, says this, God's most powerful tool to change the world is the body of Christ. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, this task is not just up to the authors of books like these or the preachers on Sundays. We fail to realize that God doesn't just call individuals. He calls an army of people to do His work. Part of the New Testament, or Paul in the New Testament, he needed Barnabas, Timothy, Peter, Priscilla, Aquila, Titus. David in the Old Testament needed his mighty men. We can't reach hurting people or even equip the Christian to live out God's design all on our own. The local church is what God has chosen to love and to serve and to care for the broken. To minister the gospel of God's grace and love to the not yet believers. And to build and equip the Christian for maturity and missional living. Ten years ago, I was living in a home with people I didn't know. A friend from school had heard of my parents' divorce. And during that time, I was jumping around from friend to friend in hopes of finishing my schooling. And this friend who invited me to come and stay with him, he was a PC, a professional Christian. I knew that he took it seriously. And I wasn't anything like that. I was a holiday Christian, if at most. And the only time I was interested in Christianity or church is if there were pretty girls at youth or if there was lots of free food. Now, this friend had invited me to come and stay with them for a few days, which turned into a few weeks, a few months, and then seven years. One month into staying with this family, I could tell that there was something so different about them compared to what I was used to. They were kind. They were patient, they were gentle, overflowing with love towards one another. And I was used to the opposite of all of those things. Church was a non-negotiable in their life. And if you were living under their roof, you were going to church as well. You didn't have a choice. I thought these guys were just really strict about checking off the checklist of coming to church. But over time, I began to see it was a love for the church and its people that this family had. 
The church would hang out at different homes after the service and then with each other for lunch and all sorts of things the rest of the day. And if you were new at church, you were getting invited to lunch as well. Throughout the week, this family who took me in would have countless people in their home, discipling them, loving them, praying with them, having their small groups meet in the home, inviting people over for coffee. The list goes on. And on Saturdays, this church would come together and meet and go to an underprivileged area to serve the underprivileged and build a school and a church for them. But you see, that's not the point of why I'm telling you that story. There is a point, but I'll tell you at the end. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was this place where it was like a crossroads. A lot of people met and mingled there. Lots of different cultures and religions. Roman law was important, especially for the upper class. And Corinth was this busting sin city with lots of sexual immorality, lots of social status, me getting a claim to fame, that whole vibe. And into all of this, Paul brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. And soon after, a church is planted and established to be a beacon of the gospel in that city. In 1 Corinthians, he's writing one of two letters to the Corinthian church, and he calls the church to a beautiful picture of how they are to be the dwelling place of God's spirits and church to the city. Now, we're about to read a portion of the text in 1 Corinthians 12, but I'm trusting that through this, God is going to reveal to us today why we need the local church as we minister His love and truth to those that are living in sexual brokenness. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 20. It's up on the screen as well. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. First reason why we need the local church is that the church is one body, but many members. We immediately see in verse 14, Paul's illustration that the body is one, but it has many body parts. And so too, the Christian church is one with many members and parts of the body. But you see, Paul is speaking into a problem at the time where the attitude of the Corinthian church was about elevating some gifts that were classy and flashy above others that were kind of downplayed and not seen as the gift to have. So the gift of preaching, singing or tongues were seen as the flashy Academy Awards type of gifts. And then gifts like hosting, generosity or shepherding weren't seen as important. But I'm fully convinced that if we're going to reach the world and the city that we live in, in their sexual brokenness, we're going to need to change our perspective to knowing that I'm a part of this body just as much as anybody else is. The local church doesn't have one team of participators so that a whole other team of spectators can come and just watch the show. It would be like this football team, not running out onto the field, but rather sitting in the stands and just spectating 
what's happening. They were made to play. And so too, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, don't let some of the gifts be left out. I'm not trying to make any of us feel bad. But there are too many unused gifts and untold stories of the lives of people sitting in seats spectating. Our society is influencing us into a spectator, lack of engagement way of living. We're living in a society that's taken places of meaning and true human connection and turned them into these empty spaces that lack human connection and intimacy. American pastor Brent Compelian, he says this, Retailers like Starbucks have tapped into a deeper societal shift. We've grown to love non-places, airports, shopping malls, and chain restaurants that often lack human connection and have no unique history, no quirky design, no familiar faces. We are users of these places, autonomous and separate from them. We can step in and out without anyone noticing. The digital world has taken this to an extreme with virtual non-places like social media and gaming networks where we can live a kind of disembodied existence. Because of the way our society has shifted from true human connection, we just easily arrive and don't feel the need to pour ourselves into the local body because we see so many other gifts in action. But this is not what we are called to as a church. We are one body with many members participating. We serve an amazing God who brings an army of people together to do His work with different gifts, personalities to get His work done. Imagine my foot just decided for the day, I don't feel like rocking up to work today. You know, the rest of the body can do its thing, but I'm not going to do anything. Can you imagine the impact that that would have on the body if my foot just decided to stop working for the day? So too, when we arrive and just spectate and aren't being a part of the local body, can you see the impact that that actually has on the local church? We think preaching, teaching, singing are the flashy gifts that stay up there and the love for hosting and serving and generosity. Well, how can God use that in the area of broken sexuality and, intimate and healing in God? It's very simple. Invite them for a meal. Share your story with them. Get to know their story. Pray with them. Walk a journey. Message them on Monday and find out how it's going. And then invite them back for another meal. You see, in verse 18, Paul says that God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Can you say that with me? As he chose. God has sovereignly placed inside of you that which no one else has. Whether it be your gifting, your personality, or your story. You might be thinking, Dylan, compared to the rest of the body, I'm the small little toe on the edge of the foot. Or do you know that the small toe with the big toe and the heel creates stability for the body so that it doesn't lose its balance? You are important. God has arranged the gifts of the body as He chose. Could it be that someone is sitting here today or there may be someone in your life that's needing breakthrough? And the very thing that's going to lead them to finding breakthrough in God is the thing 
that God has put inside of you. Maybe it's you. You are important and you are a part of the body. Lastly, before we move on to our next point, we underplay just how powerfully God can move through our stories. When we don't tell our stories, people won't know that there's an alternative narrative to sexuality for that which they are used to. You see, saving yourself for marriage should not be something that you hide in embarrassment. The redemption of your testimony should be ready to share at any point so that others can know there's a grace that runs so deep and a love so powerful to heal that it can cleanse us from our sexual history. Our stories are powerful, but not because of us, because of the God who moves through them. When we tell our stories, people will know that there is an alternative to the world's narrative of sex. If you think about the woman at the well, all she did was share her story with the town, and the town, a revival started in the city, all by sharing her story. Her moment with Jesus, she just comes and says, He told me everything I ever did. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't standing on a stage. It wasn't making us look great. Just telling her story. This leads to our second reason why we need the church. And it's that the church is counter-cultural. Further on, as he continues this illustration of the body, he speaks about um, in verses 24 to 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, Paul's addressing a problem in the time where the culture in the church was not much different from the culture we see or they saw in society. The culture in, the, in Corinth at that time was that it was all about me, my pleasures, my desires, making my name great. But what we see is that the church in Corinth was allowing the culture of society to come in and influence the culture of the church following similar cultural norms by using their gifts for self-betterment, self-benefit, and not treating well those gifts who's, who weren't the same as theirs. You see, the purpose in the gifts in the church are to build one another up and care for one another, not to show off one's spirituality. But you see, I don't think we as the local body today are struggling with this problem of making some gifts look greater than other gifts. But Paul was calling the Corinthian church to be different to the culture than that of the world. And I believe God is calling us that the culture of the church needs to be different to that of the world. God is calling us to be counter-cultural. But what do I mean by counter-cultural? We see when society in the world is swimming this way, in uncomfortable directions, the church shouldn't be influenced to follow the pattern. The church should be staying true to that of Jesus, that which God calls us to, even when it's uncomfortable. This is Dylan's definition of what it means to be counter-cultural. An embodiment of life that stays true to the gospel and the ways of Jesus, even when society swims in uncomfortable directions. What is the church's response to being countercultural today in the sexual issues that we're facing in the world? Well, you see, the world says sexuality is what I can make of it. I can do whatever I want with it. 
But we know the church should be saying, because we believe that God created me. Therefore, He created my sexuality. And if He created my sexuality, I'm going to trust His design and purpose for how I live that out. How we as the local church live out our faith needs to testify to what we believe in Scripture. We set the precedent for what marriage is under covenant. We set the precedent for embracing our gender and finding fulfillment in Jesus. Our habits, our conversations, that that we follow and watch online should influence the world to seeing a different narrative of sexuality to the brokenness that they are used to. When we live out 1 Corinthians 6.20 that says, we are not our own, we were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. The world would look at us and say, that is so different. And there's something beautiful about that. I'm not saying that we need to just do the opposite of what the world is doing all the time. But we know that those who are not yet followers of, of Christ don't have the spirit living inside of them yet. So of course their life would be different. But when those outside the church look at us, they should be thinking and saying that there's something so beautifully attractive about them. I want to know more. And this brings us to our third reason why we need the local church. It's that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. In prepping today's sermon, I sat this week considering different ways and wrestling with God. Is there any other way, Lord, that we can reach those living in sexual brokenness outside of the church? Is there any other ways that we can do this? And I kept coming back to the same answer again and again and again and again. And that there is nothing more powerful than the local church. We need well of life and every other local church to embrace this task with both hands. You see, as powerful as the book Rethinking Sexuality is, it's not enough. As powerful as seminars are on healthy sexuality, that's not enough. Even sharing the sermon with your friends and family is not enough. Starting another ministry in this area is not enough. It's the local church that's the hope of the world and the only means by which we will see the territory reclaimed in sexuality through the brokenness of what we see in the world. Every person in every church matters. Old or young, rich or poor, it does not matter. We have to find every person's spiritual gift and raise them up to step up in the church because there's so much at stake. People with leadership need to step up and start leading. People with counseling gifts need to step up and start counseling. Those with teaching and administration, those working with kids, those shepherding to walk alongside others, those with the gift of giving to give to the church and resource it so that the mission can go on. All of this, all of these gifts step up so that we can show the broken world that there is a redeemer of their sexuality. But we as a local church, followers of Christ, are going to have to make a choice. Are we going to spend our time correcting the world or connecting with the world? The local church is not going to see the impact it so desires if the heart of that local church 
is to correct the world around it rather than connect with the world. When the world see us, do they think about wanting to become people of faith so inspired and knocked off of their horse because of the redemption and blood of Jesus? So captivated by the beauty of the gospel that they share it with their friends and family? Or do the world look at us not wanting to be followers of Christ? Not wanting to be part of a church? Maybe even wanting to walk away from the faith because we spent all our time correcting them. We need to change our posture. We need to know, it's not my job to take someone who is gay towards being straight. It's not my job to take someone who is struggling with their gender so that they can find their gender. It's not my job to ridicule those who are having sex before marriage, to abstaining. That's not my job. Our job is to connect with them and lead them to a Redeemer who comes and heals. We aren't correctors. We connect us. We lead and love people to Jesus. I'm telling you this. If you try to bring people to a Jesus who loves them, you won't be able to do that if you don't love them. Love is patient. It is kind. You know how it goes on. We need to be connectors. If we as the local church wholeheartedly love all people, no matter what they walk into our lives with, we will see God taking root in people's lives and His ability to heal them taking place. A man who saw the beauty of the local church was Billy Graham. This is what he said. Today, the church is more important than ever. The Bible tells us that in some ways we do not completely understand the church represents all that Christ is. And I see the church with its 2,000 years of history as a mighty force in our society. The church cannot ignore the community which has so many whose lives are empty of meaning. We in the church can offer hope. We know that God loves us. That Jesus can help every lost soul that calls on Him. So many today are hurting. All of us can think of someone whose family has broken up who thinks that no one cares. Can I call the band up, please? In that first year that I stayed with that family, when they had taken me in, I was the 17-year-old boy, so broken. My parents had gotten divorced, and I thought marriage was a problem to be avoided. I was so lost in my own journey super insecure, feeling my family abandoned me, and I was involved in messy and sexual relationships so past beyond repair. Band, if you guys can please come up. And you see, normally you put those things on paper and people want to turn the page. They don't want to read that story. I was a heavy burden for any church or any family to take on. And I used to think that in spite of these things, this family and church embraced me. But I actually know that it's because of those things, the love of the Father embraced me through them, that I stand here today as a redeemed son, no longer walking in, in the things I was before. 
This family and the local church took me in, and the love of the Father through them transformed my life. I remember people coming and saying prophetic words over me when I was standing and crying in worship. I remember fathers taking me for lunch and teaching me and walking with me as I journeyed through my sexual struggles. I remember brothers coming alongside me and helping me walk a journey of purity out of my pornography addiction. I remember moms in the church who took me to go and buy clothes because I had no clothes so that they could use those moments to teach me what it means to be a godly young man. You see, it was the whole body of believers that embraced the truth of being the local body in action. And I went from just being a part of this family and a part of the church to being family and to being the church. God used the local church through this family to save my life, to meet Jesus and go on the journey of His redemptive power to come in, break through and heal and cleanse all of this because the local church is the hope of the world